Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Ephesians 4, verse 11. I'll just read a few verses of Scripture. The Bible says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. We've been talking about that a lot here for a few services, the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men, cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Let me just read one more verse. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in him in all things, which is the head, even, even Christ, even Christ. For a little while tonight on part 10, of the book of Ephesians. James, you're smiling. I just seen the other day, quote unquote, I just seen the other day a guy that had done 119 parts to the book of Ephesians. So now you better say, we love Pastor McGee. Amen. For a little while, I'd like to speak along this line. Now, don't worry, I'm not getting inspiration thinking about the word works the word works let's pray tonight God I come to you this evening God I'm thankful Lord being able to be in your house God we have Lord dealt with Lord for the past several weeks Lord through different venues Lord of losses in people's lives and so Lord we count ourselves grateful to be here Lord with that in mind it makes me Lord that much more want to make my calling and election sure I pray, O Lord, today, God, help us, Lord, as we look again at your word. God, that we can derive strength from it. We can derive instruction and hope, God, from it. Lord, I know all those things are found therein. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. I'm going to continue with verse 7, Brother Andy, now. Verse 7, now that these folks can sit down and read at least till verse 10 for right now. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. Now that he ascended, what is it but that he also descended first into the lower parts of the earth? That he descended, he that descended is the same also that ascended up far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. The Apostle Paul, we spoke uh, a couple of weeks ago, it was now, we spoke about how it all just comes down to our walk walking worthy of the vocation in which we were called. We talked about unity. Uh, we talk about when you walk worthy of that vocation, you're balancing out that scale uh, with your walk. The unity we spoke of, we spoke of seven qualifiers that tells that we are indeed unified, uh, being one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one Father and, and God, one, one body, one spirit, all these things. 
And so we come then to this juncture in the road that the Apostle Paul says that to each and every one of us has been given uh, grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And then he continues uh, in just talking about each of us have been given grace that how God had also given gifts unto men. And then only doing as Paul can do, he goes off on his tangent just a little bit. You see the parentheses. He, he's got kind of a side note to talk about. And what he was talk, wants to talk about to us is uh, how those gifts came to us or how those gifts uh, were paid for, by what means those gifts uh, were distributed to you and I. And he begins to describe how the great God of heaven descended, basically, from his throne in glory, took upon himself the nature of a man through the man Christ Jesus and lived among you and I. But his descension wasn't just to earth, but that Jesus, by virtue of a cross of his death and his burial, would even descend further into the lower parts of the earth that we might call or is known in Scripture as hell. Literally, it's Hades, which the unseen the unseen abode of the dead is what that word is literally interpreted. But he would descend that far and then he ascended from there, amen, back to the earth to ascend then all the way up above, the Bible says, all heavens, amen. Uh, the Apostle Paul in writing about uh, the thorn that was in his flesh, he spoke prior to that how he had even seen a vision uh, even of the third heaven. He said, I've seen a man, whether in the body or outside the body, I know not. Uh, he had reached the third heaven because what Scripture speaks of that sometimes, a third heaven. Uh, the Apostle Paul equated that with paradise. He equated that with heaven uh, itself. Uh, if you were to look at the first heaven, the first heaven, you're, you're living in a little bit of heaven right now <laughs> because our atmosphere is what's known as the first heaven where uh, we live and breathe, have oxygen, first heaven. Second heaven is that of the, 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 the planets and the moon and the stars, the second heaven. But then that beyond, amen, is hopefully the home that we're going to inherit uh, one of these days, the third heaven. And whenever Christ descended, he descended from there, amen, even to the lower parts only to ascend back there. Uh, when was time was all said and done. And by virtue of doing this, by virtue of his death and his burial and his resurrection, we see this distribution, if you will, of gifts unto men. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 4 and verse number 8 that says, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended up on high, whenever he went to that place above all the heavens, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men. There is an Old Testament counterpart to this particular verse in Ephesians 4. The Old Testament counterpart to this verse is found in the Psalmist David 68 and verse number 18, just with a slight alteration. Uh, some people want to view it as a contradiction. It's not. Amen. I think it gives us a full understanding of what really happened. Uh, in Psalm 68 and verse 18, the Bible states these words through the psalmist, Thou hast ascended on high, thou hast led captivity captive, thou hast received gifts for men. So in the Old Testament, it is that he had received gifts for men. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's writing says that he has gave gifts unto men. Now, to bring that there is no contradiction here, but there are, there's a harmony that's going on in the Scripture, we got to tap in just a little bit concerning the culture 
of the Bible. And whenever a king has won or had won a victory, and he would bring behind him in his chariot the spoils of war and the enemy prisoners to parade them uh, before the people of his hometown, an Israelite king in particular would take all of this and these attendants and go to that holy city of Jerusalem and even ascend up to Mount Zion. And behind him, chained to his chariot, would be those he had conquered, other generals of the other, the enemy, if you will, uh, uh, the, the other warriors and leaders of the armies uh, of, of the enemy would be chained behind him along with all of the different spoils of war, whether it be livestock or whether it be things. And as soon then as that individual would get into town, they would, as I said, go up that holy mountain, Mount Zion, and it would then be on Mount Zion there with all of those riches and those spoils of war, including uh, the people that were behind him, that it was there on Mount Zion, that holy hill, that those spoils would then actually be given to the king. It actually be given to the warrior. But he did not just keep and hoard all of those to himself. He would then disperse them to the people of his hometown and of his community. So he would receive gifts, in essence, like the psalmist David said, for men, and then he would give gifts to those men he received gifts for. And so this is a very perfect picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever he came from the tomb and he came forth and he had conquered death and he had conquered hell and he ascended up on high into the heavens he was given a gift of the spoils that he had received but now as a result of that he could give gifts to men and I know of a particular gift that he gave on the day of Pentecost for whosoever will amen so here he is he's receiving gifts and he's distributing gifts back unto the people and in addition to that we come then to verse number 11 and the Bible continues to speak in this context of gifts. It begins and continues to speak of some of these gifts. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I know this, is, <laughs> this may seem like, because a gift that he's given here, this is not a material thing, but what he is giving is some people as a gift. We might not necessarily always deem it as such, but an apostle is a gift to the church. A prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, a teacher. They are in that category of gifts that God has given to the church. Now we talk about that sometimes as the FIFO ministry. And to keep from the 119 parts, we're not starting a mini-series right here on the five-fold ministry in the middle of our series on Ephesians in case anybody's getting nervous, although we could. All right. But when we start to talk about this idea of five-fold ministry, and I'm going to give just a few things uh, for us to understand their purpose and their intent. If we were to speak about the five-fold ministry in the terms of agriculture and understanding their different roles, we would talk about them like this. Uh, the apostle, in terms of agriculture, uh, the, the apostle is the one that plows. The apostle is the one that plows. The prophet is the one that plants. The evangelist is the one that reaps. 
The pastor is the one that threshes. Now, there's something important to note about the evangelist. He reaps both tares and wheat. And then the pastor threshes and he separates the chaff from the wheat. And then the teacher grinds. That takes the wheat and puts it in a form where it can be used. All right? Another way you might think of it, people, we've done this before. I'll do it just for redundancy's sake. You think about your hand. You think about the five-fold ministry. You think of the apostle of being the thumb. One reason he is a governor, he's an overseer, the apostle is. And he can touch every other aspect of the ministry. Your thumb has the ability to do that, to touch every other aspect of the ministry. Then the prophet is the pointer. You hate when the prophet comes and he's like, come up here. Uh-huh. Amen. So the prophet is the pointer. Not only does he point for that, but it's for instruction. It's for direction. And then the evangelist, the longest finger of all, is that one for it outreaches, it outstretches longer than any others. His purpose is outreach. His purpose is so winning. His purpose is that. And then we have, we have the pastor here, that ring finger. They say that vein that goes to the heart. It's the shepherd's heart. It's the pastor's heart. And then you have your pinky. You lay your hand down on a table. That pinky is the foundation of the rest of your hand. It's what the rest of the hand is founded upon. And teaching gives you just that. It gives you something that is founded, something that you can lean upon. Uh, Reverend, Sting, Steve, uh, Reverend Lee Stone King, rather, uh, gave the representation of the five-fold ministry another way that you might be able to remember. It all starts with G's unless you get your G's backwards. <laughs> the apostle governs. The prophet guides. Uh, the evangelist gathers. Uh, the pastor he, uh, what is, does the pastor do? I'm even forgetting my G's. He guards, and then the teacher grounds. Another to give you an idea of what these different roles and such do. And there is a lot of popular opinions today. There are people that tell you today in our secular world that the role of the apostle, the role of the prophet, no longer exists. I beg to differ. I beg to differ. Contrary to the popular opinion, the function of the apostle is not over. Now, there's no way that we can replicate exactly those first early 12 apostles because one of the things that they had concerning their apostleship, they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we for sure can't replicate that. But in the essence that they were still people, amen, that were sent out by the Lord and commissioned by the Lord to lay a foundation of the church in new territory and areas where it was not before much like our home missionaries and foreign missionaries today going out and starting works where there was no work before laying a foundation of God's truth in areas that it had not been started before in that sense we very much so have an apostles uh, for that matter you read of the apostle Paul and the apostle Paul was an eyewitness of his resurrection you have Barnabas you have Silas these were not either but they were deemed as apostles and so it is very much so. Yes, we can still have apostles in our day because we still have home missionaries that's digging out work, so to speak, establishing truth, churches, amen, in areas that they're not even at. There's foreign missionaries over in very some from just obscure places right now. They've never heard about Jesus' name. They've never heard about that. They've never heard about the Holy Ghost. I know. Blow your mind. But they're doing that. What are they doing? They're being an apostle. They're laying the groundwork. They're governing. They're overseeing uh, works that are over there. And then we consider the role of the evangelist. Uh, the role of the evangelist a lot of times deals with the beginning of a Christian's life. 
It is that soul winning of them just coming to God. And yet, though, then you have another row in there to take care of the development of that, and that would be the pastor-teacher that tell you, so you have an evangelist that might be in the start, take, take care of the beginning of the Christian life, but then there has to be a pastor and a teacher to help further develop that Christian life. As a matter of fact, in the Scripture of verse number, verse number uh, 11, you'll notice that the word some comes before apostles and prophets and evangelists, and pastors but not before teachers the word some does not precede teachers and so uh, some even believe and indicate then that that indicates a uh, not necessarily a five-fold ministry but a four-fold ministry of a teaching pastor now that's absolutely necessary and it's biblical because the bible says that one of the uh, one of the attributes or characteristics of a bishop which basically means overseer which would be the role of a pastor is that he must be apt to teach. Amen. He must be skillful in teaching. So all pastors should be teachers, but not necessarily all teachers are pastors. All right? The Bible declares it as such. And it even goes a step further. The Apostle Paul, when talking to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 and verse number 5, he's speaking to Timothy and says, but watch thou in all things endure afflictions he says, do the work of an evangelist and make full proof of thy ministry. Paul's talking to Timothy. Timothy was sent to Ephesus to be the pastor of the Ephesian church. So he's talking to a pastor, Paul is, who by virtue of being a pastor should be apt to teach a teacher, yet he also tells him do the work of an evangelist. Because so winning and gathering is an integral part of the church as well. And so here is Timothy, pastor, teacher, evangelist amen because all of this is for the embetterment of the church so we understand then that apostles they they pioneer the church prophets give us some direction evangelists give the increase and then the pastor teacher row if you will they tend to these people on a daily basis a daily basis but here's the important thing and this i, I didn't start a miniseries here just let you know there isn't a single row of the ministry of that five or fourfold, however you wish to view it, that can accomplish the perfecting of the saints, the work of the ministry, and the edifying of the body of Christ in and of themselves. And I've said this before to you all, but the reason why here we try to bring in different people, whether it be a prophet, or evangelists. I've had other pastors come in here. Uh, there's been people that's walked through here that I would deem as an apostle. The reason why we have them because the perfecting of the church is dependent upon all of them, not just upon one of them. I could sit up here and just take full uh, dominance of this pulpit from now until next year and continue, all right? But I would be, in a certain essence, robbing us as a church of the perfecting, which word literally means equipping, of the equipping of the church. We need, I, I don't have all of these things resident within myself. I think I touch on a few of them, but I don't have all these resident within myself. And so we must have these different ministries come into the life of the church so that the church, here and abroad, locally and, uh, you know, overall, big mindset, amen, can, can be perfected. And there's something else that I think we've viewed many times concerning them coming in and doing this, that then to the five-fold, to the four-fold, however you wish to view it, to these people then is the responsibility of the perfecting of the saints 
Number two, the work of the ministry. Number two, the edifying of the body of Christ. We many times see that these five or four are responsible for these three steps. It's oftentimes how we viewed it. Those three things are not three steps. It's just one progressive act. I want you to look at your word real closely with me. It's just one, one progressive act. Primarily, apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, their purpose, he spoke very plainly in verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints. When you get to the second four, in Ephesians 4, 12, when you get to the second four, that's now not referring back to those fivefold ministry. That's referring back to the saints. The fivefold ministry has been given for the perfecting, the equipping of the saints. And as a result of that, then the saints are for the work of the ministry. And then the third four that comes, again, is not going all the way back to the fight of ministry. It's going back to that ministry that the saints are now working in. All right? So the fivefold are for the perfecting of the saints. Then the saints are for the work of the ministry. And then by virtue of them working in forms of ministry. I'm not talking about preaching and teaching. I'm just talking about being involved in the church. And by virtue of them, their work of the ministry, the whole body is edified and built up. The church. Yeah, the apostles and prophets, yeah, they're still for the work of the ministry because they have a road to perform and so on and so forth. And yes, there's going to come edifying by that. But their main thrust is to somehow perfect, or if you will, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And whenever we equip, whenever these different people come in, and some of them are resident within our church, but whenever they come in and minister and teach, amen, and they equip us, you and I, saints, for the work of the ministry, that in turn, our ministry, that we find our niche in where God wants us where he wants us to work where he wants us to thrive where he wants us to apply ourselves in the body of Christ when we get there that's going to in turn edify God's body and edify God's church it's going to build up it's going to grow as a healthy organism when everybody gets equipped for their job in the church amen so whenever all this happens, so the body's edified, all, all the, when, when, all, when all the members are functioning and working per their particular placement, then the body is built up. The body is edified. You're part of the ministry. I know we, and we've talked about this last year around this time. Everybody's a part of the ministry. Ministry is not a word that just has to do with priests and prophets and all that. No, 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 no. This is a body ministry. Whether you're the thumb or the toe or the elbow or the eye or wherever you may be in the body, you have a ministry. The word perfecting means equipping. Here is the basic definition of the word perfecting here in the scripture. The basic idea of the word is that of putting a thing or a person into the condition in which he or it ought to be. That's the responsibility of the fivefold ministry. 
to provoke you. To cause you to open your eyes or consider to somehow get you in a condition to where you should or ought to be in the church. The reason why is when that happens and you begin to function in that spot, it benefits the body. Amen. And so it serves the reason if I am not in that condition or where I should or ought to be functioning, then I am not benefiting the body like I could be benefiting the body. Amen. And so that's the reason why we're up here as pastors, teachers, prophets, and all that. And sometimes we keep going down certain lanes and certain lines. It's because we're trying to equip. We're trying to get God's people to get there. And as long as the role of the evangelist is always there and there's new people coming in, we always have a job of trying to get people to where their work of the ministry is in the body. And overall, it's going to benefit the body. The Bible says it will edify the body. The word edify doesn't just mean to, to, to build up. It also means the act of one who promotes another's growth in Christian wisdom, piety, happiness, and holiness. When we're all working where we should be working in the body, we're promoting our brothers and our sisters' growth in God and their happiness in their holiness. Amen. The Bible says this. Ephesians 4.16, if I can jump down there just for a moment. The Bible says, from whom, which refers to the Christ that was in the previous verse of verse 15, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body and the edifying of itself in love. If I may... I've done this before, but if I may read this out of another translation, the New Living Translation says, Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. So we're fitly joined together, and we're compacted by that which every joint supplies. Where I come in contact with you, that forms a joint. The joints are the points of connection between the members of the body. And at that joint, whenever one member meets another member at that joint, those joints cause the body to be fitly joined together and compacted. Amen. And every joint supplies something. Amen. And in the overall picture, what it supplies is not just supply something to a member, but it supplies something to the overall body. And that's where it's important. That's where the big picture is. It's not that I'm just supplying to a member, but I am. My contribution is to the overall health and effectiveness of the body. Yes, your contribution. Amen. Affects the overall, the overall, the body in general. And so what we must have then in the body, there must be a proper balance of the five-fold or four-fold ministry. There must be a proper balance. Amen. In order to help uh, each individual and help the church as a whole. And you must remember, there is a common denominator. What is it that an apostle, a prophet, an evangelist, a pastor, and a teacher all have in common? What is the common denominator to those five rows? The common denominator to those five rows is this. They are all in some measure handlers of the word. 
All in some measure, they are handlers of the word. And it's through that handling, the tool that each of them use is the word. And it's through that tool and that use, their peculiar way and use of that word, that the perfecting or the fully furnishing, if you will, of the saints is accomplished by I would even go out, and I'm not on a limb, but I say this, that a body that is suffering from then the handling and propagation of the word cannot truly become the body or function as the body of Christ should function. Because it takes these five and their handling the word to bring about the perfecting of the saints of the church he said even further in verse 13 till we all come in the unity back to that unity idea again until we all come in the unity of what the faith we're back at this little origin here again back to the unity of the faith remember one of the seven qualifiers of the unity was to be of one faith And so Paul says, our go as a Christian, our growth go as a Christian, you can read of it in, in, in verse number 13, he said is to be a perfect man, which means a whole or a complete man. If I could say it like this, a mature man. That's, that's our go of growth as a Christian, to be, be a mature man. Amen. And our standard of measure to gauge where we are at in that process, amen, was that we could somehow look at it, that we would be unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The way which we measure that process is not by anybody else but by Jesus Christ himself. He is our measuring stick. He is our standard. He, he, he's the one that's the plumb, if you will. He's the one we measure ourselves against to see whether or not we've obtained that place of a perfect, whole, complete man yet. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, he says, for we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. He says, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. In other words, you use anybody. Let me even go this route. You use another church, another pastor, your hero in the gospel, another saint as your measuring line about whether or not you've reached that perfected man yet. You're not wise because that's not where the measuring takes place. It takes place between God and the individuals of his church to God. That's where the measuring takes place. Amen. And the only way we can get there is by his word. By the fivefold that administer and handle that word. In that case, sign me up for Wednesday night Bible study. Sign me up for Sunday morning preaching or teaching. Sign me up for Sunday night service. Sign me up for anything in between that has to do with his word. Why? Because by it. I'm going to become perfected and conditioned for the work of the ministry that God has for me. And whenever I function in that, I'm going to build up and promote the church overall to grow. Amen. So count me in. The perfect.
perfect man then, or if I could say the mature or adult man in Christianity, according to Paul here in Ephesians 4, is the one who is like Jesus Christ. Yet conversely, if you look at the next verse, a key indicator of a child in Christianity is someone that's swayed with every wind of doctrine. The man is settled on the faith. The child might be swayed on the faith. For that matter, there's a, <laughs> there's a lot that can be deduced about whether you're swayed or whether you're sure and founded just within the faith. It bespeaks something of really your Christian maturity. Amen. Over the past several weeks, you've heard around here, we've been emphasizing the faith. Bishop has emphasized the faith. I've been on Sunday mornings at a couple times emphasizing the faith. The faith is not your belief. It is the doctrines of truth. And the faith will affect our individual growth and our growth overall as a church. And the major, re- the major reason, reason why is because here is that five-fold ministry that's using that word, those tenets of the faith, not a belief, but a doctrine, using that word, that truth, that doctrine, that faith, using that faith to perfect you and I. Amen. To equip you and I, using that doctrine to do it. All Five of them using that same tool of God's word and truth and the faith, the doctrines of truth, in order to perfect us. So vitally important that the Apostle Paul himself, whenever he was speaking to some of the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts chapter 20, and he was on his verge of departing, there was something that he reiterated to them above anything else that he could have told them that day. He had spent three years of his life with them. They're not going to see his face anymore. And there's something, though, he wanted to reiterate to them. And you'll notice in verse 32 of Acts 20, he reiterated truth. He's talking to them. He's going to depart. It's going to be, they're not going to see him again. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up, edify, promote your growth, able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among them which are sanctified. What are you doing, Paul? These elders I've been with for three years. I'm departed. I'm going away from them. If there's one lasting thing I can speak to their life is this. I commit to you, Ephesian elders. I commit to you, God. But I don't leave you just there. I also commit to you His Word. Because those things together can edify the church. They can perfect the saints. They can build them up. They can promote growth. That will make you mature believers. Amen. So then again, underscoring the idea, Brother Mason, even why sometimes after it can just seem like, man, they danced and they shouted and they ran. And why did that pastor still get up and preach? Because none of that stuff prior to that did any perfecting for That didn't make sense. That didn't put you in the work of the... That didn't edify. Really, it didn't. 
Even the, the first Corinthians 12 scriptures even tell us, man, you speak in tongues all you want to, give message in tongues, but there's no interpretation, there's no edification. Until the word comes forth. The Bible says in Acts 13, there's a story that is represented there in Acts 13, verse 6. I'll read it to you this evening. The Bible says, And when they had gone through the isle unto Pathos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, whose name was Bar-Jesus, which was with the deputy of the country, Sergius Paulus, a prudent man, who called for Barnabas and Paul. And look now, this is what Sergius Paulus desired. Desired to hear the word of God. That's the basis of all faith. The basis of the faith right here, the word. He desired to hear the word of God. But Elymas, which is also Bar-Jesus, the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them. The sorcerer withstood them. He withstood, in particular, this man, Sergius Paulus, who desired to hear the word. Seeking now, look, to turn away the deputy from the Faith. What's going on in Scripture? What connection is being made? That faith, the faith, is connected to the Word. The faith is connected. You know why that troubles me? Because there are a lot of people that don't even want to involve the Word in their preaching and teaching today. Their philosophies, that's what it is. Whatever type of new idea. They're just like those on Mars Hill waiting to hear a new thing. A new philosophy, though. So it's ideas, it's all these philosophies. A lot of people don't even use Scripture in Bibles today. Why does that frighten you, Brother McGee? Because that's where the faith is. And if they're not using the Word, they're not being founded on faith. And if they're not being founded on faith, there's something besides a church. And so he, he's seeking to turn the deputy away from the faith because he's desiring to hear the Word. So he's making a connection here. If he hears the word, man, that's, that's the faith. And the Bible says in verse 9, Then Saul, who also is called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O fool of all subtility and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to, everybody say, pervert. Pervert the right ways of the Lord. Here is... Here is our modern hour, folks. The word pervert in the Greek means to distort or turn aside. Webster basically calls it this, corrupt or misapply. Now, for the ones that no longer are using this or using philosophies, there are still those that use this, and they still propagate false doctrine. And error. How? Because they, like the sorcerer, are using the same tool but misapplication. Mm -hmm. Perverting the truth. Perverting the faith. Perverting God's word. And that's the reason why so many then will fall prey to that. Because they're speaking from the Bible. They're speaking from the word, but they're misapplying. They're perverting the word. Paul admonished Timothy then in 2 Timothy 4, 2. He said, preach the word. 
I believe the reason why is the same reason we, I think, looked at a couple weeks ago whenever Jesus was calling everybody to be in unity. Remember, before he did that, and we just jumped on this a little bit of John 17, 17, he said, sanctify him through your truth because your word is truth. Timothy preached the word, preached the faith, preached truth. Amen. The preaching of the word is a preaching of truth if you don't misapply it. Preaching the word is a preaching of truth, and the truth is powerful. Amen. The Bible says in Job 6.25, he says, and I've shared this before, I think, with our Iron Sharpens Iron group, but in Job 6.25, he says, how forcible are right words? How forcible is truth? How forcible is truth? It is, it is forcible. It is powerful. Amen. Truth can't be used as a beating stick. I understand that because all by itself, just spoken is powerful. It's pungent. It, it, it's forceful. Amen. But on the same token, we can't be lovey-dovey, gracie-washy. I just said the other day, and here is a delayed post for Facebook and Twitter for me because I couldn't do it that day. But I'll do it today, and that is this. If our so-called grace betrays biblical truth, then it must be something different than grace. Yeah. Hear me again. If our so-called grace betrays biblical truth, it's something other than grace, ladies and gentlemen. Because God's grace will not betray his own truth of his word. It will not. There's a lot of people saying they're doing stuff in the name of grace and it's far from grace because it has no biblical basis what they're doing. Absolutely, many times it's going absolutely contrary to God's word. You can't call that grace. Not for a thousand years, could you? So we speak the truth, though. The apostle admonishes in love, according to Ephesians 4.15. Because it is forceful. It is pungent. So we got to speak it in love because it's just so forceful all by itself. I told Iron Sharp and Iron Group, I said, in this way, people get the point without being driven through with the point. Amen. And when this is done, verse 15 tells us that they will grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We must propagate, we must preach the word because the faith is connected to the word and the word is truth. We must do that. Why? There's a generation that's dependent upon it. John 8, 32 tells us, and ye shall know what? The truth. And what shall that do? The truth shall make you free. Why must we then, why must that fivefold come in for the perfected? Why must they come in with that word and with that faith? Because it's truthful. And it is only by knowing the truth that men can be set free. And after even being set free, it's only then still by the truth of that word that can somehow prepare you and condition you to be where you ought to be in the work of the ministry the word works it matters it's important it's important so they know the truth they're freed by the truth even some that may have been once fickle in the faith and become rooted and grounded 
in it if they have a steady diet of this. This will set them free. It will make them free. It will also give them a place in the body to function, to operate, to work. That in turn will promote the overall growth of the church. If you'll stand with me, as a little bit of time here. The writer of Proverbs said this in Proverbs 27 and verse 6. He said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Are deceitful. Back to our lovey-dovey, gracie society. Not wanting to present the word of the Lord in some of the stringent ways in which it is presented in Scripture, afraid that it could offend somebody. Let me tell you this, that if you always walk away from a church and feel good about your life lived for the Lord, you better beware. There's got to be a good balance of walking away feeling encouraged, but there's also got to be some times we got to feel like we've been instructed to improve on some things. I'm telling you that now because there have been people erred from the faith and they just went to a place where they don't have to worry about feeling bad anymore. They didn't feel good about where they are, what they do. We're all going to heaven. They didn't just feel good about everything. Leave every service, just feel good. Woo! Don't, don't have any offenses in that measure from God's word, from the preaching of his word. Might be the best of buddies with the pastor because, man, he doesn't step on my toes. Let me tell you something. You be better beware. If you ever enter an assembly and you can walk out all the time and never feel like, man, I got I to gotta just get this thing in alignment. I got to straighten that up. I got to push that over. I got to. We all need times. Pastors, evangelists, everybody included. That's the reason why there's conferences for people like us that we sit there and tears start to fall down our eyes because we realize, man, there needs to be a little course correction. What's going on? God's using His Word through His varying ministries to cause us to find our work. And I hope you remember that before you leave tonight. It's not left up to the five folk to do the work of the ministry and the edifying of the body. It's up to them to prepare the saints so the saints can do the work of the ministry and then by virtue of their work the body will be promoted and edified that's the secret of it all yes it is it's the secret of it all because I believe even Bishop in times in eons times gone by that that type of mentality has been the thought process that leave it to the evangelist the prophet the teacher and all of them they do the work of the ministry they do the edifying that's not the way this is a body ministry condition the saints to do some works of ministry, their works of ministry will turn around and promote the church. Amen. You can just bow your heads tonight, Brother Mason. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.